Mets fans, I want to take a quick break from talking baseball and let you know about the next top prospect in building a smart home. Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 is that big time new star prospect. The Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 is a smart lock, a 2K resolution camera, and a doorbell. It's three devices in one, triple the security. You know triples are rare in baseball, but not with Eufy. You can have everything in one device rather than install many pieces on your front door. It's not just for security, but also for convenience. Just the other night, I had tons of packages in the rain. Rather than fumble for my keys, I easily entered my home. This is big since I have four dogs who are impatiently waiting for me at the door. No more concerns about losing keys, and you could assign passwords to your family members. Worried about when your loved ones are getting home? Eufy allows you to see them coming back home via the integrated camera. Hey Mets fans, this is a home run. I had a competitive product before Eufy, and it's the difference between a one-dimensional hitter and a five-tool player. Eufy is that five-tool superstar. Go to eufy.com, that's E-U-F-Y.com to learn more. Already sold? Go to Amazon and get your Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 today. Want to go to the store? Best Buy will have it starting around May 20th. Get complete control over your front door at ease with the Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 today. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlay, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. This is a podcast from Minute Media. Atlanta, whether it was the first day of the year or tomorrow... It's going to be a challenge, you know. They're the World Series champ. They, in the offseason, they got better. So, I mean, we played well against them last time here. Now we got we got to go get it done at their their home, you know. Uh, ultimately, um, it don't matter who's on the other side. We got to go out there and give our best, you know. As we as we saw, the Marlins, um, they're not in in the race for first place, but they. You know, they're they major league team. So whoever is on the other side, we got to go out there and give it our best and respect our opponents. It's another edition of the Talking Mets podcast here on this Sunday, July the 10th, 2022. Of course, I'm your host, Mike Sylvie. Check me out all the time at thetalkingmetspodcast.com. Send me a tweet at Mike Silva Media, and you can just show an Apple podcast, Spotify, pretty much whatever podcasting service you desire. If you want to interact with me, Mike Silva at talkingmetspodcast.com. No G, Mike Silva at TalkingMetsPodcast.com, and I want to welcome in the good folks from the fan-sided podcasting network as well as RisingApple.com. Well, welcome to, for us anyway, game two of a double dip, the second podcast to you here on this Sunday. Did it a little bit differently than what we normally do. Instead of jamming the Keith Hernandez number 17, the ode to number 17 tribute to the former Mets first baseman into the normal program, figured let's give Keith his due. There was so much content to go over. We had, if you haven't checked it out, former Mets pitcher Doug Sisk joined me, and we talked about Keith from the locker room perspective as Doug played with Keith before the Mets actually became a force and then obviously was part of the 1986 World Championship team. Some of my thoughts on who's next and the day, who's next to have their number retired, and the day at City Field. So 
check it out. Go over to the TalkingMetsPodcast.com, and uh, you can check out the first of what will be a double dip of Talking Mets Podcast. So now we get back to the issues at hand or the business at hand, and that's the current Mets team who, after a brilliant outing by Sandy Alcantara and the Marlins, who are shaping up to be kind of exactly the team that I feared they'd be, a pesky 500 to low 80s win team, plays a lot of one-run ball games. When you get into those one-run ball games, anything can happen. And, you know, teams that are under 500, once you get into the 8th, ninth, 10th inning and the game is tied, they're big league ball clubs. All that gets thrown out the window. So the Marlins are, are shaping up to be uh, exactly what you expect. And joining me today on the second edition of this podcast to give a perspective as the Mets head out to Atlanta and talk a little bit about the Braves and what to expect is our old friend. He is now with the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, Justin Toscano. So you'll hear from Justin. I had a chance to catch up with Justin earlier this morning on his way into the ballpark as uh, he was covering what turns out to be a, a Braves win over the Nationals. And away we go. The Mets are now a game and a half up, two in the loss column on the Braves as they head into this three-game set. Uh, they're what? They're going to play 15 of the next whatever, 77 or 79 games, whatever is left on the schedule. The Mets have the Braves 15 times. So truly they'll have their opportunity to win or lose the division just by what they do against Atlanta. But really what it comes down to, and and let's put all aside anything that's going to be talked about, because what's going to be happening tonight into tomorrow and actually through the three-game set, and many members of the media are going to do this, if not all of them, and fans, too, they're going to try to make declarations about the Mets' season over the next three days. And for sure, the ghost of 2021, how the Mets were in first place 100 days and did not make the playoffs, will come to bear its ugly head. And all the whole, you know, the Braves are 29-8 and eight over their last whatever how many games. And, I mean, that's an NBA-style record over there. I mean, that's like a, a 65-win NBA team when you look at it. And all of that will be an indictment on this Mets team. And that's why this is a very difficult place to play. That's why we've talked about the yoke around this team's neck as they uh, continue to try to push forward and win a championship. I've always said it'll take a special group of guys to kind of break through some of the negativity and disappointment that has been part of this franchise over the last 30, 35 years. So you'll hear a lot about it. But honestly... And and let's not even get into 2021 versus 2022 because I think that's a, a wasted conversation. Those are different teams and different circumstances. Nothing one way or the other will be decided this week, whether the Mets sweep the series, lose all three games of the series, um, you know, take two out of three, lose two out of three. Nothing's going to be decided. This is a, and, and I think Buck said it best in the postgame. And he's really good at keeping perspective, trying to keep his team not too high, not too low. He said tomorrow's game is no more important than today's game. And he's right. I mean, Mets win today and uh, and go out and get swept by the Braves. The result is the same. You know, you you, you play every game within, I guess, its own little uh, corridor, and you hope to get the result that you want. But I do think, even though we know, we're, we're, we're pretty sure we know what this Mets team is, I think we, unfortunately, right now, as they go into the Braves series, I think we're going to learn a little bit about what this team needs, and quite possibly, this team may be exposed over the next few days into the All-Star break by what they don't have. And I think it's pretty easy to see. Um, We know they need a bat. They need a DH-type bat in the worst way. Despite the grand slam and the big game on Thursday, neither J.D. Davis or Dom Smith has stepped up to fill that void, really with McNeil out and possibly no Starling Marte going into the Braves series. Perfect time for these guys if they want to stay here, if they want to establish anything here. I know Buck talked earlier in the week about how he would love to st- you know, keep his roster and go to war with the guys he has since spring training. This would be the time. I mean, ultimately, if you're going to win a championship, you're never going to have perfect health, and you're never going to have perfect situations. And the Mets are not going into a perfect situation with McNeil going on paternity leave, Marte a little banged up, some of their big hitters slumping. You know, Pete's come a little bit down to earth, and we know what Lindor has been, and Escobar hasn't hit the side of anything since his big weekend in tech against Texas. So really, I think you're going to see that extra bat that they're missing really rear its ugly head. They need bullpen help. We know that. 
Lugo has not been himself for a long time. You saw a lot of that this week. You can't pitch out of Vino every day. You're going to burn the heck out of Diaz if you pitch him every day. Uh, Drew Smith, uh, interesting arm, very long ball prone, almost gave up another one today in his uh, one-inning outing. They need bullpen help ASAP. I don't even know if they could wait till the August 2nd deadline really to, to do that. Similar to what they did in 2015 when they went out and get Tyler Clippert a couple of weeks before the deadline. They almost need to do that now. Uh, and I'm not saying overpay for it, but I really think they need to address this bullpen sooner rather than later because it could be very detrimental. The rotation is good. I mean, with the way Ty Walker has re-elevated himself to first half, Taiwan Walker, uh, you're going to get a solid start for the most part every night. When DeGrom comes back, because he looks pretty healthy, and he slides Peterson out of the rotation, he goes in and then Peterson kind of becomes what I envision is maybe that lefty that they're one of the lefties or maybe a help in that bullpen that they don't have right now. Um, you're going to get that good, solid six innings pretty much every night. You hope to get into the seventh like you did with Walker. But the rotation right now is not your concern. What your concern is getting the six outs or so to Diaz. Because once it's the ninth inning and it's Diaz, they're about as potent and as good in that bullpen as anybody. If not, he might be the best reliever in all of baseball. And as I come to you, it's about a quarter to six here on a Sunday as I'm doing this show, as we get to the break, and as we get to Justin Toscano, hopefully we'll get some good news and we'll hear that Edwin Diaz is an all-star. We'll see what happens there. That's for later. But really right now, the problem that you have is that when you look at the Braves and you look at the Mets, you see that the Braves' bullpen is a little bit better. And why is it better? Because, and look, Jensen's out. But if you got look at guys like uh, uh, Colin McHugh, AJ Minter, guys like that, they don't; those are their their big relievers going into the eighth and ninth inning. They don't walk guys. Okay, the rotations are pretty even when you look at how they performed, especially now with Spencer Strider in the rotation and pitching at an elite level. They're pretty even offensively. They score about the same amount of runs. The Braves. Actually, you'll probably argue the Braves are in a better position because they have the ability to hit the long ball. I think only one other team in baseball has hit more home runs than them. So because they have the ability to have that big breakup inning with the long ball, and that's what the long ball does. When the Mets have gone into those home run long ball hot streaks, they've blown people out. The long ball crushes and breaks games down. And and other than Pete Alonso, the Mets really don't have that kind of guy. That's why they're out there searching for that DH type. And, you know... Really, when you start to break it down, going into this series, the Braves are hitting long balls. Their bullpen doesn't walk as many guys as the Mets do. And their starting rotation negates a lot of the Mets' strength. So it is a situation where, quite honestly, you're going into a series where the Mets are not going to be favored. And I think the real thing, and this has nothing to do with anything that's going on. I, I don't believe Buck or anybody in that clubhouse, especially guys who weren't here, are thinking about 2021. But you have, and you really saw this over the weekend at City Field. You really have a fan base that's sitting around. And I have to say, I've been disappointed in Mets fans for a long time because of the way they behave. And look, I get it. The disappointment, the heartbreak, the frustration, all the things that come with being a fan of this team. I think everybody thought they were all of a sudden just going to go away because Steve Cohen was the owner, that pennant races wouldn't exist. You've got an old school pennant race. And the fans don't seem to be able to handle it. I mean, what you see going on, Mets, Braves, right now, is no different than what those who were around experienced in 1985 versus the Cardinals, in 87 versus the Cardinals, in 1990 against the Pirates, and the wild card race against the Cincinnati Reds in 99, and, you know, 2007 against the Phillies when they lost the division. 2015 against the Nats as they played them head-to-head until September when they pulled away. I mean, this is an old-school, old-fashioned pennant race. And in a way, it's a pennant race of teams playing at a very high level. The Mets have played at a 100-win pace plus for most of the year, if not since day one. The Braves picked it up over the last 40 days and played at you know an all-time great pace with their 29-8 and record. It's a high-level two teams duking it out, trying to win a division, and one team hoping to stay out of the wild-card tournament. That's what it really is. And Mets fans, to me, are miserable as anything. I think some of it is because you had that big lead and you were hoping to be able to float through the summer, enjoy yourself, and wait till October for all the pressure and tension. But quite honestly, that's not reality. This division is working out 
exactly as we discussed in the spring. Think about it. Go back to the tapes. Go back to the old, the original podcast. We thought that the Braves and the Mets were kind of there at the top. Even when we did the analytics earlier in the offseason with all that war uh, breakdown with average seasons, I think the Mets were right there with the Braves. Maybe the Braves were squished better. I'm trying to remember. I think the Braves were, I mean, the Dodgers were significantly better, but I think the Braves were right there. We said the Phillies were probably right under there. And then we talked, and I just said that the Marlins were this low 80s, maybe 500 win team with really good starting pitching, very little offense. They've actually got a squish more offense than I expected. And now they got some arms coming out of that bullpen that are pretty decent. They're gonna, and they've lost a ton of one-run games, and some of that has to do with the fact they, they play bad defense and they do stupid things on the base pads and what have you. Yeah, everybody talks about the AL East being the toughest division in baseball. I don't know. I think the NL East is pretty darn tough. You got a team out in Philadelphia that even without Bryce Harper has a guy on a 60 home run pace, it seems like, in Kyle Schwarber. Great professional hitter of Nick Castellanos. A couple of, you know, a guy like Wheeler and Aaron Nola and Kyle Gibson, decent threesome in the rotation. Their bullpen, which was horrific last year, is at least halfway decent. They play in that bandbox in Philadelphia. You know, they seem to have rallied around uh, their new manager after Girardi was canned after the Mets series back on Memorial Day. So to be miserable or to be angry or to be disappointed in this Mets team, if you're a fan or if somebody in the media writes about it, it's, it's just not, it's not real. I mean, the fact that you have beat writers pointing out that the Mets are a 100-win team because their Twitter line is flooded with negativity, paranoia, and fear just tells you where this fan base is. I mean, this place, you know, a beautiful Saturday against the Marlins. And the place was tight as a drum. I mean, it was pumped up at the beginning, and it was tight as a drum. And I think to a certain degree, what I am looking out for is maybe the team is playing. Now, Marlins had some good pitching, uh, Alcantara aside. I mean, but I think the Mets are playing a little tight. I thought McNeil's at bat in uh, what was at the bottom of the eighth uh, uh, against Okert was a bad at bat. You know, a guy that's very hard to elevate a pitch on instead of doing what he does and going the other way. He tried to play softball. Um, you know, they were fortunate to get a split in the series, but that's what happens when you play other teams and they make bad plays and they make errors or they give you other opportunities, you take advantage and win. You know, the Yankees have done it for a billion years. The Braves do it. You know, every team that's won a championship, Dodgers, whoever does it, they take uh, mistakes from the opposition and they capitalize. Nobody gives wins back. Mets fans give wins back because Mets fans want the perfect win. Yeah, I would love to have the perfect win. I'd like for Scherzer tomorrow to go out and pitch seven scoreless. Mets get three outs out of whoever comes in in the eighth, whether it be Adovino or Lugo, and then Diaz blows them away in the ninth. But sometimes that doesn't happen. So, you know, buckle up, guys. This is a pennant race. And you've got 15 big ones against the Braves between now and the end of the year. And you might need to win those to win a division. You might need to win those to stay in a wild card spot. There's three wild cards now. You keep at a 100-win pace, the Mets are going to be in the playoffs. You keep at a 95-win pace, the Mets are going to be in the playoffs. But I think right now, the one thing that is pretty clear to me is what this team needs. Those glaring needs are, are popping up right in front of you. They need another bat in a big way. I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that not only J.D. and Dom have been the biggest disappointments, maybe my biggest... Putting Cano aside, because I didn't think he'd be that bad, I think J.D. and Dom, uh, more so J.D. Davis, had probably been my biggest disappointments on this team. And the decline or you know, the normalization of Lugo, which has put more stress on an Adovino and put him in higher leverages and, and asked Drew Smith to step up and have bigger outs. Uh, you know, with Diaz finally figuring out, you would think that Lugo locking down the eighth and Diaz the ninth would give you those six outs. Well, now you got to go out and get it. And that's why I said on Twitter, you know, a perfect deadline to me would be some combination of getting a couple of relievers like David Robertson and and Andrew Chafin and then figuring out if you could pry a Trey Mancini. Or, uh, you know, look, at this point, I know a lot of people were debating, is it is it worth giving up a prospect for Josh Bell? Guy's having a big year. Maybe you even figure out if you could get a lesser prospect out of the Nats because you're taking on Corbin's contract. Do they want to dump Corbin's contract? Because then Corbin, at least, you know, he's not pitched well for quite a while, and he's expensive. And I know that could play into the Mets losing one of their free agents. you got to be careful when you take on some of this future salary because you do have guys like Ty Walker that are going to want to get paid and Bassett and DeGrom and so on. So there is some risk if they take on salary. 
in order to uh, you know get a Josh Bell type. But they could use, you know, if there's an injury in the rotation, at least you know Corbin is a professional that potentially could give you, in theory, five or six innings and three runs. Uh, you're not sure if David Peterson can give you that consistently. You don't have anybody right now in AAA that I think you could confidently say could do that. You can't count on Tyler McGill, who's got, you know, shoulder issues now. So this is going to be a bear of a road trip leading to the All-Star break. The Mets really need to take a blow. I think that the energy and the, uh, you know, everything they've put into the first half is starting to come to a head. They need to make that final push. They have a couple of challenges in front of them with McNeil, you know, not being around. There's nothing you could do about that. That's life. You know, nothing you could do with the fact that Marte, uh, you know, has a seems to have a lot of little nicks when it comes to his quad and his groin and his, his, his legs. You don't want Marte's legs bad. And maybe that's why Marte hasn't really been running. That was a question that came up on Twitter. What a, you know, you look at what Billy Hamilton and John Birdie and what the Marlins do when they're on the bases. You get Marte, who's had over 50 stolen bases in a season, going with his legs. You could turn a lot of, you know, walks and singles into doubles automatically and put some more guys into scoring position. So, especially for a team that right now, uh, you know, doesn't hit home runs at a prodigious rate like they have in the past, other than Pete Alonso. So, that's where you're at. This is just an old-school pennant race. This is not a declaration on the Mets. This isn't a make-or-break series. This is an important series, just like every other series will be important because when you're now in the position like the Mets are, contenders, there's no series that if you lose two out of three, you're going to say, well, that was no big deal. I mean, we're at a point with the fan base. The ne- they're so beaten down and negative that any loss is met with fear and paranoia. It's actually gotten worse as the season's gone on. It's exhausting. And that stuff means nothing, I think, to the players. But it is going to create that negative energy atmosphere or that tension that we see sometimes at City Field. And it makes me wonder if playing at home is going to be that much harder. Maybe it's good that the Mets get out on the road for the last you know week of the All-Star break. Get out of here. Go play in a hostile environment. They know they're going to be hated and booed. Go out there and just play ball and see what comes of it. Best guy possible on the mound, first game of the series, Max Scherzer. Again, when you look at the Braves and the Mets, these 15 contests, just like really the Mets' season, they're going to, for the most part, be decided in the 6th, 7th, and 8th inning. Because I think your closer is dominant. I think your starting pitching is really good. I think you will, as you go along the season, score those 4.5-plus runs a game, which is more than enough with this closer and this starting rotation. The question is, can they get those six outs to Diaz? And yesterday they didn't get it because Adovino gave up the home run. Today they did. They just couldn't score. And then, you know, you're relying in that goofy extra inning ghost runner on, let's face it, Tommy Hunter's an, a, a nice arm, but he's a guy that you want to bring in, I think, more when you have a bit of a cushion. I'm not quite sure Tommy Hunter at this point in his career is a higher leverage reliever like he was seven years ago when Buck had him in Baltimore. But right now, that's what they have. And they also are trying. And this is why it's so critically important to get a couple of arms. They don't want to burn out what is some fragile bullpen arms in Lugo Adovino. And to a certain degree, you know, Drew Smith has had injury issues himself. You know, Buck is very conscious about not overusing and burning out his relievers. If you're going to do that, you're going to have to have depth of relievers. Or you're going to have to have a team that's going to give you some cushion where you could put your B and C relievers in and not worry about a bloop and a blast beating you. And and right now they're playing a lot of close games and that's not possible. So anyway, let's take a quick break. When I come back, Justin Toscano, Atlanta Journal-Constitution, Justin's going to give us the Atlanta perspective. What do they think about what's been going on? What do they see as they come roaring up behind the Mets? Good friend Justin used to write for the record. He was a Mets beat reporter. Now he's the Braves beat reporter for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. So We'll talk to Justin Toscano and talk about the big upcoming Mets Braves series right after this. Doc Gooden's first two years in the big leagues were some of the best in the history of baseball. How did that impact him going forward? He discussed this with me on the Talking Mets podcast. You know, normally you have those type of years, maybe like year five, year six, uh, once you get like 28, 29 years old. Mine happened in 1920, my first two years. I remember a game in 86 where I pitched a shutout, but I only had three. Uh, strikeouts. The first question was, what happened? You only had three strikeouts. 
And, you know, you'll say the political correct words. You'll say, oh, I'm not worried about that. I just want to win. It's for the team. But inside, now, that hit a nerve where you feel like my next start, I got to pitch nine innings. I got to pitch a shutout. I got to get 10 strikeouts. Um, and I, I lost some fun that I was having in game because of that. Because of expectations, where it became like the media expectation, the fan expectation, then it became my expectations. What I felt that anything I did, like I couldn't match 85 no matter what I did. But in my mind, if I didn't get the 10 strikeouts or whatever, it wasn't the same. It wasn't just a win. And I wasn't having as much fun as I should have had. And that's one of the things I regret looking back at my career now, where I would allow things, with, you know, whether it's the media, the fans, or myself at that point getting into my own head along that needed to lose the fun because it should be a privilege playing Major League Baseball and you're still winning games, you're still pitching great. Obviously, it's not 85, but unfortunately, I had my career year, my second year, or you say my first year, and you're never going to match that again. Listen to this and more at www.talkingmetspodcast.com. We're back, and I'm joined by old friend Justin Toscano. You guys remember him. He covered the Mets beat for a while, for a couple of years, and he's now down in Atlanta for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. And uh, Justin, welcome to the program. Uh, you're joining me right before the Braves' final game of their series against the Nats. Mets later today taking on the Marlins. How you doing, and uh, how's Atlanta treating you? Yeah, doing well. No, it's uh, going well. The team is playing well now, and it's... Uh... Yeah, it's always funny to uh, think about being on here for the first time with you a few years back. And uh, we probably talked a lot about Edwin Diaz and Pete Alonso and the likes. But, no, it's funny that, uh, yeah, these both these teams now, you know, you go from one division rival to the other, and both these teams <laughs> are fighting for first place now. Yep, and big three-game series coming up uh, this week. And here's what I'll start off, Justin. You know, they haven't played each other a lot. It was a long time ago the Mets played the Braves. Uh, it was about eight weeks ago, early May. And we know the rivalry from the 90s. We know the last four years the Braves have. Anytime the Mets have tried to make inroads, the Braves have won a big game or a big series. But is there something that here in New York we don't know about this Braves team since the last time they both hooked up? Yeah, I think I think it's that they're better. Um, and I think the Mets have been so good this year that there hasn't been as much of an emphasis on the rest of the division until the Mets is recent, you know, they're, they're like hovering right now. But I think it's that, you know, the Braves might be better than they were last year uh, on paper. Certainly the bullpen's deeper. Um, the lineup has another year of experience plus battles and um, you lose Freddie Freeman, but you look at the depth on this team um, one through nine in the lineup. And I think uh, since the last time they played, Everything has just pretty much clicked. Uh, guys have gotten hot. Ronald Acuna has gotten settled in. Uh, Michael Harris was not up, you know, when the last time the, the Braves and the Mets played. Um, and, you know, Spencer Strider wasn't in the rotation. And so I think there's there's so much to this Atlanta team that's contributed to them being, I think it's 28-8 um, over that stretch, you know, games from June on. And I think uh, – yeah, it's a completely different team than when the uh, the Braves went to Flushing last, and it's going to be a fun series. What has been the Braves' take on this division? You know, when you win a world championship, yeah, you have a hangover, but there's all that experience. Like, nothing's really going to phase you anymore. And they get behind 10 games. Look, 10 games in May, as much as people make a big deal or will make a big deal about it if the Braves sneak ahead, is not a long time. Not It's early. It's early in the season. What has been the Braves' take on all this stuff? What have they thought about the Mets all along? Has there been a healthy respect? Is it more like how the Phillies used to be with the uh, the Mets back in the day, where it's like, hey, we're going to get them eventually, just a matter of time? Yeah, yeah, I think it's a, I think it's a wait and see approach. I definitely think there's a, a healthy respect because they know how good that team is over there, and the Mets, how good their lineup is, how good that rotation is when it's healthy. Um, and there's definitely respect, uh, but it's almost like a thing where it's, you know, they're a really good team, but so are we. And I think all along the Braves have been, you know, maybe miffed isn't the right word, but just a little flabbergasted at how everybody seems to be talking about, you know, the Mets and the Dodgers and uh, other teams and not them, uh, not the team that won the World Series. And so I, I do think there's a healthy respect, but there was also kind of a wait and see attitude because they were, you know, after winning four straight division titles in a World Series. 
they just weren't going to be in position to panic uh, in May and panic, you know, early in June. Um, and so I think it was really a wait and see approach. They've seen the Mets crumble before. And I think like without, you know, them without saying it publicly, uh, I think they knew that, you know, there was a lot of season left to go and, you know, they all just had to take care of, you know, winning series after series and they win 14 in a row and have done well over the last month and change. So I do think it was a wait and see approach. And a lot of that comes from the experience that they built, you know, over the last few years, um, that they weren't going to panic. And it was, uh, like I said, I don't, I don't think they're miffed or jealous, but I do think there was a little bit of a, a, you know, a little bit of a, um, surprise that, you know, so many people were talking about so many other things, but the reigning world champions. And so I think they were just going to wait and see if they couldn't cut into this thing. Absolutely. Justin Descan, Atlantic Journal-Constitution joining us. Uh, is Spencer Strider and Michael Harris, are they really surprises? I mean, uh, for outsiders like us in New York, they may be, but what about for those down in Atlanta? Yeah, 100%. To this degree, they're surprises. Um, heading into the season, I mean, it looked like Spencer Strider, you didn't know, heading into spring training, you didn't know if he would have a spot on this roster, um, and then he pitched so well in spring training and flashed the velocity regularly hitting triple digits fastball that averages like 99 miles an hour um he pitched well really really well the bullpen uh to the point where you know it was it's almost been surprising that he's been this good for them this good of a you know that he's just plugged the fifth starter hole um and you know taking that spot and michael harris is a guy you know really talented top prospects people knew about him but I don't really think anybody expected him to impact this team to this degree. I mean, he only had 197 games out of high school before they called him up. Um, and only, you know, last year played a full year of, uh, in high A and then this year, you know, a, a quarter of a year in double A. And, and so I don't really think anybody expected him to be batting 300 with upwards of, you know, you know, eight. 80 OPS or whatever it is, um, and, and the home runs and just, you know, we knew he was a great defender, but you just didn't know other than the athleticism, how quickly the other, other tools would translate based on how, you know, much time he would need to adjust to the game. So I do definitely think, you know, these are two talented guys that were two of their top prospects and, you know, Strider even debuted on the final weekend of the season against the Mets last year. Um, but, to this degree, I think it's a big surprise. I don't think anybody in Atlanta expected uh, to have, you know, with the depth and, you know, just the talent, the superstar power that they have um, on this Braves team. I don't think anybody in Atlanta expected them to also have, you know, two potential rookie of the year candidates. Justin, what has been the Braves' biggest surprise and biggest disappointment so far this year? Anything you could share with us as we get into this series? Yeah, I think the biggest surprise so far is um, – got to be Kyle Wright uh pleasantly um it, it just the fact that I mean he was a guy who you know went up and down was kind of yo-yoed like that and used like that and now he's really established himself at the big league level has an ERA under three as we approach the all-star break um and I think I think his breakout has just been yeah really 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 encouraging um and yeah I think in terms of biggest disappointment for me so far, it's got to be Adam Duvall. I think he can turn it around. Um, you know, I think he's shown, obviously shown the abilities of proven hitter, shown the ability to, to get hot. But I think right now, you know, a guy who hit almost 40 bombs, he expected a little more out of him. And it just hasn't clicked yet, but it hasn't really, you know, it hasn't really affected them. They've had, you know, some injuries like Eddie Rosario and, uh, Cooney didn't play, you know, hasn't played the whole season. Um, you know, Ozzy Albies is hurt right now, but I, I do think they keep rolling. So his, you know, disappointment, it's hard to be too disappointed with anything right now. But I think uh, people expected more from Adam Duvall at this point. I'll tell you what, they're getting a ton of production out of their catching. I mean, look, we have our old friend Travis Darno and, and Contreras, the younger Contreras, uh, might be just as good. Uh, that's got to be a little bit of a surprise. And how are they defensively? Darno was always okay, but... Uh, there was always issues with game calling and sometimes with the arm. Yeah, yeah. Like, I don't really think they're going to throw many runners out um, or that Darno's going to throw many runners out. Contreras has a really strong arm, is still getting used to the game calling. Uh, he's improving, um, but the pitchers have really praised him. And so it seems like a positive um, in that regard. But, like, for the Braves, I think you're right. Like, that's another one of those big surprises that they've had is, 
I don't think anybody really expected uh, them to have this much production out of that catcher spot to this point, especially because William Contreras, you know, they had signed Manny Pena. There wasn't really, you know, they were kind of shoehorning a spot for Contreras and didn't have one for him, and he was down in AAA um, until Manny Pena goes down with the season-ending wrist surgery. And so I think um, that's been a big surprise. Defensively, they've been okay. Um, I don't think, you know, it's going to be to the quite to level of, uh, you know, other great catchers in the game. But I think it hasn't been bad. I think the, the important part is worried about that pitcher and the charts you have and the game calling. And I think they've been good in that regard, even if the numbers, on, you know, throwing guys out or whatever, um, you know, that, that threat's still, I think people are still going to run on trip to the start now. Um, and William Curtis got a strong arm, but still learning defensively. I, I think it's been okay. Um, and it's been good. Nothing glaring couple of quick things before we let you uh, go. Uh, what do you think the Braves do at the deadline? I know it's still a couple of weeks away. Uh, a lot of things are coming together for the Braves right now. You, like you said, 28-8, and playing at an NBA-style pace in terms of winning. What do you think they go after at the deadline? And will the Mets and, uh, and Braves be competing on any players? Oh, that's, yeah, that's, a, good, that's a good point. I, I, I've always, you know, I wonder if... Uh, because Ozzy Albies isn't going to be back until, you know, at least mid-August, probably into September. Um, I do wonder if the Braves will try to get a bat now that they've seen Orlando Arcia, who hasn't been bad, you know. He's just not to the level of, you know, other starting players they have. I do wonder if they'd get a bat, but I think more pressing for them is a, a back end of the rotation arm, uh, you know, a quality starter, but maybe not an impact name, and then another bullpen arm. Uh, but I do, I you know, I wonder if they can't also find themselves in that, market for an infielder a bat like that because their outfield is pretty crowded the catching spot's fine uh but maybe a, a good bat for an infielder if they can swing one now they gave up a lot of prospect capital trading for matt olson so it you know it'll be interesting to see what they want to give up but i do think the mets and braves could be you know they're two contenders so they theoretically could be competing for players but um i don't see it at like the highest level of, of them competing because i think like you know, the Braves have a DH. I think as soon as, you know, their DH or Contreras on the days he doesn't catch or whatever it might be. Whereas I think the Mets really, I mean, you can tell me if I'm wrong here, but I think the Mets really could use an impact bat. Um, and I think they'll be in the market for players that I don't think necessarily the Braves feel they need. Um, but in terms of like a, a back end starter or fortifying the rotation a little bit or a bullpen arm, I do think these two could, could be, you know, in the market for the same guys. Um, which would be interesting. So, you know, you look at the Mets farm system and yeah, I guess would the untouchables be Alvarez and, and Beatty and then everybody else up for grabs? Yeah. I mean, that would be the case. I mean, they, they've talked about getting another bat. Definitely. I think the biggest difference, and it's interesting you brought up, they don't have the same needs. The Mets needs are actually is the brave strength with the bullpen and with Kenley, Kenley Jansen on the DL, you know, in a short series, not necessarily in the regular season, you can see in the postseason, it could come down to the closers. It could come down to who's better, Diaz or Jensen. That's a that's an interesting little subplot here. Yeah, yeah, 100%. Yeah, because Kenley is not, can't be back at the earliest until uh, Tuesday, the 12th, right? Yeah, the 12th. And so, um, yeah, that's going to be an interesting point, especially because I'm interested to see Edwin Diaz, you know, in a pretty raucous environment, um, you know, in a big game. Because Edwin Diaz has been lights out, uh, and you're happy to see it for him because I think he's took so much crap early on, um, you know, for a trade that he didn't even execute. It wasn't even, you know, his idea. He just came over and played, and I think um, he's been terrific. But you're right, yeah, it definitely could come down to that. And I do think, you know, the Braves have had some issues here and there in terms of A.J. Minter has been terrific, but has given up some runs here and there. And relievers always have that game. Will Smith has been, you know, he's been all right, but – it's kind of always an experience with him out there. So, and I mean, I think the Mets have shown what's a little different about this Mets team is they've shown they're kind of never out of games. And I think that's going to be a really interesting subplot to see how these teams' bullpens do. Uh, but you're right. Like, I think the Mets need bullpen help and that kind of, I mean, I feel like that was really exposed that last game against the Braves when Adamino was pitching, you know, third day in a row and just got completely lit up uh, by a Braves offense that been dormant so far for pretty much the whole series um it's gonna be interesting yeah because i think kenley you know not being down you're gonna have mentor will smith closing if need be um in monday's game uh and then we'll see you know how it goes from there but 
yeah, I, Edwin Diaz has been terrific, and I'm, I'm excited to see him because it looks like, I mean, it looks like it's real. Absolutely, uh, the working off the slider, a little different pitcher. I think you'll see uh, when they, they come to town in a day. Hey, last thing before I let you run, as I know you have to go to the clubhouse. I'm in, in the camp where, regardless of what happens, a sweep either way, two out of three, whatever. I don't think anything's uh, decided this week. Even if the Braves, you know, the Mets went in there and swept the Braves are five out. A lot of baseball to play. They'll have 15 meetings out of the last, like, 79 games or so. Almost 20% of their schedule is against each other. So this is truly an old-school pennant race, thinking back to 85 and Mets fans thinking of 87 and 1990 against the Pirates. And for the Braves, you know, maybe brings the shades of the Giants in 93 because they're both playing at a high level. So I'm in the camp. It's Ignite. It's an important series. It's a test. It's a barometer. Maybe more so for the Mets and the Braves, but nothing will be decided in the coming days. Do you agree with that? Yeah, yeah, of course. I think the biggest thing to me, uh, the biggest thing to be this series, the question is going to be really what's going to matter or the barometer, if you're talking about that, is if the Mets lose sole possession to first place, how are they going to react? Is this going to be another 2021 or is this team different? And then that's the only thing that's going to be decided after that. But I think like, Look, like there's so much baseball to be played after this series and so much baseball to be played, you know, these two teams against one another. So it's like all of this can be made up, you know, and, and you're going to have, I think the really important one is going to be early August, uh, five games in four days in New York. I think that's going to be really interesting and to see how that goes. Um, but for, as for this one, I think it's a good, like, you know, good for, people as fans to see these two teams and good for these two teams to play each other again. But I mean, Hey, the Braves could sweep the Mets and then, you know, fade into obscurity after that. But I think the, the main question is going to be if the Mets get swept or if, you know, they lose sole possession to first place here, is this going to be, you know, the same movie of them fading into obscurity like they did last year? Um, and I'm inclined to think this Mets team is different. Um, you know, I don't know what, what you think about them or what you see in watching them. But I think that's the only thing that's going to be decided. Are the Mets going to be rattled enough to where they, uh, they kind of just can never really recover like they did last season. I think it's too early for that personally. I think this is a really early series. I mean, heck even earlier than the series where the Braves took three or five in New York and thought they had a chance and went for it at the deadline. I think this is a, yeah, I think this is a bit early because last year when the Mets kind of faded away, it was August and they weren't playing well the, with runners and scoring caught up to them and, and things like that. But this is way too early. Both these teams are still, you know, not even to the all-star break. Absolutely. I'll tell you this. Uh, the big difference is obviously Diaz. There's going to be uh, starting pitching reinforcements with DeGrom. And, uh, I, you know, I'd be remiss. I know I have to, I got to let you run, but is there any buzz about this DeGrom to uh, Atlanta stuff on your end over there? Because obviously that's fodder for media. It's not a clubhouse thing, but... Um, yes, this is a different Mets team to answer your question. And I think that, uh, it will be, if they do fall at first place, an interesting test. I don't know how they would react. I think that they're better in terms of the starting pitching, some more contact, uh, hitters and guys who haven't been here, better defensive club in some ways too. But, you know, on one last note, what about this DeGrom to Atlanta stuff? Any buzz there on that at all? Yeah, I actually, that was something I'd heard over the off season, um, so when I was when I was still on the Mets beat, like somebody had told me that yeah that <laughs> that they saw that as a possibility, um, but I don't think look like you know and you know this when we do this job I think like you hear so many things sure it's just a matter of you know what's I think that was personally like that's not something that I recently checked up on just because there's so much that can happen between now and then I personally think Grom is you know a Met through and through in terms of the Mets trying to keep him. Uh, so yeah, that's not something I'm taking super seriously right now. And that's nothing against Buster only at all. He's a great reporter. I, I just personally, like there's so much that has to happen between now and then um, that I don't, yeah, look like people could be talking about that with a ton of players. The, the, the reason it's to Grom is because it's, you know, it's, it's fodder and it's an important Met and he's going to be a free agent, you know, can opt out after this year and become a free agent. So I just think it's a, uh, but yeah, it's funny. Somebody before, uh, during the offseason mentioned to me like Atlanta. I just don't. If you look at the structures of my immediate hesitancy is like, would Alex Anthopoulos do it? Well, yeah, it's Jacob Degrom, but 
if the guy hasn't really pitched much over the last two years and is, you know, seeking 35 million and, you know, he, you know, is, is, you know, wants those same opt outs, which the Braves don't, you know, tend to do. I just don't like the structure. You look at like they're eating the Ozuna contract right now and he's been good and gotten some big hits, but maybe not worth all that money. I just don't see them with the money, you know, they saved on by, you know, getting Matt Olson over free. I just don't see them spending that on, on one guy. I mean, that's a pretty large contract. Absolutely. Now you have your own podcast, right? So let the listeners know, maybe they want to catch up on some a competitive activity, the Justin Toscano over the Atlanta journal constitution. What do you got coming up? Yeah, so we've got the Braves Report podcast um, every Sunday, and so yeah, that's been fun. You cut your teeth yeah. on this show before you got your own podcast. Remember that, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah ser- seriously. Yeah, no, it's uh, yeah, it's funny because it's always like, yeah, it's uh, we do it every Sunday, and it's uh, yeah, it's 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 been fun. I mean, the teams have been fun, and look like, you know, this week is going to be fun because it's kind of like these are the series you live for, right? I mean, this sure. is like probably the best storyline going in baseball, I think, you know, in a division, um, you know, especially because let's see, if you look around the divisions, Padres haven't been a bit, have been able to beat the Dodgers. The central's kind of meh. And so I think the best, you know, story around baseball going in the divisions is the Mets and the Braves. I mean, I think this is going to be a really fun series and a really fun second half between these two. Well, listen, go get some nice uh, copy over there in the clubhouse. Thanks again for some time this Sunday morning. Looking forward to seeing you guys when you come to New York and be well, and, and thanks for everything you do. And uh, we do miss you here, Justin. Thanks again. Yeah, thanks, Mike. Appreciate it, man. That's Justin Toscano. Great stuff. You can check him out over on Twitter, at Justin C. Toscano, and some uh, really fun stuff. All right, let's take a quick break. Wrap up your listening to the Talking Mets podcast. We'll be back with more right after this. What's your reaction, Edwin? You know, um really really happy you know I have as a personal goal you know and I made that goal so I'm, I'm really happy to go to LA and represent our team. How much more does this mean just you know given the, the start to your Mets career wasn't what you wanted to be able to do what you've done this year and make the All-Star team? You know, it means a lot because you know the, my best career didn't start the way I want to but I've been able to like, get, get back in track and you know this year I made the All-Star you know I'm, I'm really happy yeah I'm really happy. And uh, as we were airing the Justin Toscano interview, and he had some really good points and really appreciate Justin for taking some time this morning on his way into the ballpark. I know it's always for a beat writer busy, especially in the morning of a of an early game to to be able to give me 15 minutes. That's, you know, that tells you what kind of guy he is. And we miss him here in New York. I thought he did great work covering the Mets on the beat. And um and, uh, you know, he's certainly doing big things down in Atlanta for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. But while we were airing that interview, the news came down, and it is official. Pete Alonzo, Jeff McNeil, just like in 2019, make the all-star team. But they are joined by Starling Marte. And, and you heard it coming in, you heard the interview, Edwin Diaz. And I really have to say, out of all four, I really feel good for Edwin Diaz. Because quite honestly, Edwin Diaz has been through a lot here. And many guys would have been swallowed up by this place. And even before he threw a pitch, he was behind the eight ball because of the prospect that was given up in the trade, because he was traded by an agent that wasn't liked by the media, an ownership group that wasn't liked by the media. So the media used Edwin Diaz and really Jared Kelnick as pawns in a narrative to be mean-spirited and go after the management and ownership of the Mets for the better part of two years, at least through the pandemic season. And even last year, to a certain degree, when uh, Diaz had some struggles in the middle of the year, specifically against the Pirates, and Kelnick was on his way to being called up, and I think he had an early home run in one of his first couple of games, you saw it. But now you see in Edwin Diaz that, as I said in the open, um... The Mets have a lot of issues in that bullpen. Not that it's a bad bullpen, but I think it's a bullpen that is shaky at times and not locked down. But it is locked down in the ninth inning. And he struck out, what, 50-plus percent of the batters he's faced. He's adapted his repertoire to work off his slider. And I don't know if that's his uh, work. 
Jeremy Hefner certainly deserves credit. I'm sure it's the coaching staff and the analytics department as well, along with Diaz and Diaz understanding where he is as a pitcher at this point in his career. Does it hurt that he's a free agent and he wants to get paid? That always helps when you're looking to bring your game to the next level. But I really think Edwin Diaz is the best story out of all the Mets making it to the All-Star game. We love Pete. Curious it'll be in the home run derby. Uh, I think McNeil deserves to start over uh, Jazz Chisholm. But you got the international aspect there in terms of the voting. And look, the guys who get votes, guys like the Braves, the Giants, Jack Peterson, the Giants, uh, you know, Paul Goldschmidt with the Cardinals who, you know, beat out Pete Alonzo. Quite honestly, these are these are fan bases that are, are probably more engaged in the process when it comes to voting in uh, All-Stars. I don't get crazy about All-Star games. Will I watch the game? I'll check in with it. I'll probably try to see when Diaz pitches, and I'll try to catch McNeil's at-bats, Marte, and, and Pete. I don't know how that's going to all work out. But, uh, you know, I'm not really into that at all. By the way, the Braves get not one, but both their catchers make the all-star team. William Contreras, Wilson's younger brother, and Travis Darno, old friend Travis Darno. And I will tell you, I was always a critic of Darno on the field, but I've told you this. Met him, interviewed him up close, great guy. And, um, you know, maybe the, not maybe the Mets probably cut the, the, the bait with him too soon, but honestly, he needed to go somewhere else. And it goes to show you how tough a place this is. You know, he goes out, he bounced from the Dodgers organization briefly with the Rays. And then he goes out to Atlanta and he finds home in an environment that probably was more conducive for Travis Darno, who was a guy that, in my opinion, never really was comfortable with the spotlight. So. Anyway, that's where you're at. It'll be interesting uh, week ahead with the Atlanta series. Congratulations to the Mets All-Stars. And uh, as I said, the best story to me is Edwin Diaz. I am rooting the he- heck for him. I, 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 I've said from day one, and I'll say it again, that trade was never Kelnick for Cano. It was Swarzak and Jay Bruce for Cano. And that was swapping salary. And I know everybody says, well, if you're taking on Cano Sally, you should have been able to throw Diaz into there and not give up Kelnick. Guess what? They had offers for Diaz. The Phillies were hot in pursuit of Diaz and were ready to give up top prospects. And the Mets thought highly enough with all the control that Diaz had and coming off a 57-save season with that electric stuff, the Mets were going to have to give up a, a big prospect. And Kelnick was the guy. And right now, if the Mets make it to the World Series or win the World Series with Diaz as the closer, I don't think you're ever going to worry about what Jared Kelnick does for the rest of his career. You shouldn't now. I mean, he's still trying to figure things out in AAA. I was reading an article about him, and and, I, and that's the thing. I don't dislike Kelnick. You know, he's talking about the process again down in AAA. I don't dis- dislike Kelnick. The media made Kelnick uh, an unlikable guy. And probably, and this is what happens when, and you're seeing it already with the draft that's coming up, where kids are in college or high school and being put on Twitter or Facebook or Instagram and they're being projected out and fans forget in baseball takes years for guys to make an impact. Brandon Nimmo was drafted in 2011. He didn't come up for five years. He didn't really establish himself as a regular everyday player and an elite status that a number, uh, first round draft pick would you would think would give until 2018. That's seven years later. Here he is 11 years later really putting it all together in his walk year and potentially putting himself in a position to get a big contract, you know, a huge contract, George Springer-type money. That'll be another conversation for down the road, what kind of contract Nimmo can, can fetch and whether the Mets should invest in somebody like Nimmo long-term. That's another, con- another conversation for another day. But because when Nimmo's on, the Mets are tough, and he nearly tied the game in extra innings today. Skush Moore, uh, that game was tied, and, and who knows what happens. It may be feeling a little bit better about the trip down to Atlanta. So congratulations to the Mets All-Stars. Great points by Justin Toscano. I think he's best point he made. It was two very prescient points I thought he made in that uh, conversation we had this morning. One, the Braves probably do have a little bit of an edge because here they are, they're the world champs. And everybody's talking about the Mets and Steve Cohen and the Mets spending and treating the Mets like they're the Yankees. And that always is going to annoy anybody around the league. And it's going to definitely annoy the world champs, especially a world championship team from down south who has a fan base that off the bat is going to hate these northern New Yorkers, right? 
And the second point is he thinks, and I have to tend to agree, that that five-game set in August as you get closer to the end of the season is going to be, if not uh, as critical, probably more critical. Because by that point, you would think, and that might come in the midst of some changes with the trade deadline, but maybe the Mets will be a little bit more reconfigured. You would think DeGrom is back by that point. Maybe they've addressed the bullpen and they've deepened the bullpen a little bit. Maybe they've gotten the bat they need to lengthen the lineup. Now, all of a sudden, these little holes that the Mets have that are putting them at a significant disadvantage going into Atlanta this week, they're cleaned up. And now you got a mano y mano down to the wire. And like I said, this is a pennant race. These are the world champs you're facing. They won and experienced a ton of stuff that the Mets have yet to experience. They experienced adversity, not just last year, in prior years. They built up to that world championship. And they had playoff disappointments in years prior when they won the division. They earned it. And if you think the Mets are just going to waltz in and take a 10-game lead in May and the world champs are going to say, yep, that's it, I'm done, see ya, I got my trophy. Brian Snicker, and there was a conversation that I believe uh, Darling was having with Gary Cohen on the broadcast today, Brian Snitker saw a little bit of that earlier in the year and said, you know what, I'm going to get this out in the open right around Memorial Day because he looks up at the standings, saw that there was a double-digit lead, and the Mets were about to really put a chokehold on the division. And he cleaned it up. Give him credit. That's why he's a good manager. A non-discreet name turned out to be a pretty good manager. Not somebody that the analytics crowd would have ever thought would be uh, have lasted past the purgatory phase of the Braves rebuild. You know, that was what a lot of guys like Brian Sticker, Sticker was supposed to be, these purgatory, uh, you know, middle manager managers that are just there. And then when they get good, that's when you get your your real manager or your analytics-based manager that's supposed to be the darling of all the members of the media. So it'll be interesting. The series will be interesting. I know that um, you can't have a better guy, like I said earlier, starting the series than Max Scherzer. This is why he's getting paid $43 million a year, to go in, start a series, put a dominant performance forth and give the Mets a chance to win and give the Mets a chance to score some runs and potentially hand it off to their bullpen, which hopefully can get it to Edwin Diaz, which puts them in a really good position to close out the ballgame. All right. want to thank everybody for joining us today. want to thank our friend Justin Toscano of the Atlanta Journal-Constitution for joining us. You can check me out all the time at thetalkingmetspodcast.com. Send me a tweet at Mike Silva Media and do the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Pretty much whatever podcasting service you desire. If you want to interact with me, Mike Silva at TalkingMetsPodcast.com. No G, Mike Silva at TalkingMetsPodcast.com. I also want to thank the good folks from the Fan Side Podcasting Network, as well as RisingApple.com. I'm your host, Mike Silva. Enjoy the rest of your Sunday. We'll be back with another Talking Mets podcast next week. Big week of baseball. Enjoy it. Try to enjoy it. Until next time, take care. Of You sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. 96% of Grammarly users say that it helps them craft more impactful writing. Would you agree? 
Grimly helped adjust my tone to navigate tough work conversations. And it works everywhere I write, so I can quickly communicate effectively. Your teammate used Grammarly to summarize an important document, making a three-pointer. How did he do it? It only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. You made an incredible slam dunk to end the game. The meeting was canceled, and your team will go home champions. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done.